Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the honor it is to gather together in your house, Jesus, to lift up your name, to give you the worship of which you are so deserving, Father, to be grateful, yes, for all you've done, but above all else, just to be grateful for who you are. We pray, Jesus, this morning that you would bless every one of us with the truth of your word, that as we come into your presence, we invite the Holy Spirit into this place. Jesus, we ask that you would anoint us with understanding and a blessing today. We pray, Jesus, that you would challenge us in our understanding of the scripture, that you would help us, Father, to live lives that give you glory, lives that point back to you, lives that are all about knowing you and making you known. And we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, I want to talk family today. How, how many of y'all love family, right? The rest of you need counseling, right? The, that's where we're at. About half of us love family, about the other half of us, we need some counseling. That's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But did you know that, that family is important to God? In fact, it's of utmost importance. I don't know if you ever realized this, but from Genesis all the way through Revelation, family is fundamental to what God is doing. And in fact, we've made some mistakes, I think, along the way as the church in trying to kind of offload some of the responsibility of the family onto the church. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody. You're feeling me, right? We've made discipling and raising our young men and women up in the name of Christ. We've taken jobs and responsibilities that are ours as parents and families, and we've tried to really offload a lot of that onto the church. Now, don't get me wrong. The church ought to come alongside families and parents and help us to raise godly children. Say amen. But it's the responsibility of family. So from Genesis all the way through the end of Scripture, family is fundamental to what God is doing. And here's what I, what I love about family is that family is there for you when you need them the most. Amen? Family is there for you when you need them the most. I, I, I miss my, my little brother. He died a few years ago, but what I what I loved about it is he and I could have one of those big knock them down, drag them down arguments. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Just red in the face, hollering at each other one day, and the next day be like, hey, can you come over and help me move this thing? You know, I I loved that about about family. I love that about about family. But I, I want you to know that today maybe your family isn't like that. Maybe you're feeling all alone today. Maybe your family isn't all that supportive. Maybe I, I know that we don't all live in this, this perfect world where everything lines up the way that it's supposed to. I get that. But, but I want you to know today, and this is the, the, the point of my message, I want you to know that today, if you walked into this church here at MTZ, I want you to know that wherever your family status is, whatever your family is like, I want you to know that you have a family here that you have a family of believers here at MTZ. And I've had this on my mind. I don't know where God is taking me with this, this thought in the long term. But lately, I've just begun to fall in love with the small church all over again. I've just really begun to fall in love. I'm, I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, what it means to be a mega church or all of that real much, very much today. But I, I've just been really falling in love with the small church all over again. It wasn't always that way. When I was coming up in ministry, I was taught that a healthy church is a growing church and a large church. I was taught that uh, the way that you measured whether or not you were a good church and or not whether or not you were a good pastor, it was based on how many people were coming to your church. It was based on how many conversions and baptisms. And, and good churches were growing and large, and bad churches were small and not growing. And I've 
I've spent the last five or six years really trying to undo that way of thinking in my mind because I, I'm not suggesting that I think there's anything wrong with growing. I also don't want you to assume for even one moment that I'm suggesting that we use as an excuse to not evangelize and share the gospel and tell people about Jesus. We say, oh, well, you know, Mike says that the small church is where it's at. I'm not offloading our responsibility to go out and share the hope and love of the gospel. But I, I just want you to know that I'm learning that there is more to this pursuit of Jesus than a room full of people. That I think that there's more to knowing what it is and following Christ than to have impressive baptism numbers at the end of the year. I guess what I'm suggesting is that I don't think that numbers paint the full picture of what it means to please God and to be a church that's all about pleasing Jesus. And so my perspective has been shifting over the last several years and helping me to see the beauty of the small church and understanding that there are things in the small church that happen that just can't happen anywhere else. That there are some unique qualifications and some unique opportunities in the small church that just don't exist outside of the walls. They just don't happen within the walls of the large church or the mega church. Let me give you give you one. When you walked in today, if you've been here a couple of times, somebody knew your name. They called you by name when you walked into church, or if they didn't remember it, they asked so that they can do it next time, right? Isn't that cool to know that when you show up to church here at, at MTZ or any of the other small churches across the world, that you're not just a number? You know, you're not, you're not just something on a report, but that you're an individual, that people see you and they hear you and they care about you and they inquire about, about your week and how your life is going. I I love life in the small church, and I love that there are things that happen here that just can't happen anywhere else. And I believe with all my heart that when you belong to a small church, you are part of the family. That you're a part of a family. It's not just, I mean, let's be honest. I, I love our church. I love everything that we're doing. But, but none of us came here today for an impressive show, I hope. You know, I hope that we didn't come here this morning and gather together, you know, expecting a, I don't know, a hill song or an elevation concert. You know, I, I hope that we didn't come here. We, we came here today, and, and maybe the thing that the small church offers above all else is it makes us a part of a community. We're a family. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time. I want you to know, though, I've been here at this church specifically for 27 years now. I, I know what you're thinking. He doesn't look nearly old enough to have been here for 27 years. Um, to be just kind of put it in perspective, I, I had hair when I started. And uh, I was still not skinny because, I mean, I'm General Baptist, right? But I, I had hair, and there wasn't so much gray in my beard back then. And I remember when church here was suits and ties, you know, and, and all of that. I remember when we had a choir up here, we still had the modesty benches. Y'all remember modesty benches, right? We had those, those up here. I've been here for a, a long time long time. And most of my closest friends are the people that I worship and serve with here at MTZ week in and week out. But I'm not sure to call them friends would be enough. I'm a part of a family here at MTZ, and I don't even have the longest tenure by a long shot. Pretty sure Billy Davidson's been here for about 150 years of the 70-year life of the church. I'm pretty sure 
that that's close. It's pretty close. But here's the thing about it. When it comes to the small church and, and what I believe, people sometimes ask me or, or they wonder, what is it that we provide as a church above all else? And, and some of us, we, would be, we might be wanting to say something like we provide the hope and love of the gospel, right? We share the gospel. That's, that's a part of it. But one of the things that I think that we offer beyond all else, one of the most important fundamental things a church offers is Christian community. It gives us other men and women not just to go to church with and sing, uh, sing songs and listen to the gospel together, not just to say, hey, how you doing on the way into worship on Sunday morning, but real, genuine, honest community where we can share things and talk with one another the way that a family does. In fact, when I think about what God intended when he created this entity that we call today the church, I'm pretty sure biblically that that's what he always intended. I mean, when we look at what the church was early in the book of Acts, it says that they were gathering together in people's houses. They didn't live in the suburbs either, y'all. They, they didn't live in like 3,000 square foot houses. They lived in little huts and hovels compared to what we live in today. But the Bible says that, that the church, they gathered together in one another's home, that they worshiped there. It was there that they lived in community. What's that tell me? It tells me that, that it didn't start off with these mega church ideas, right? I'm not saying I'm against the mega church. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is I want to dispel the idea that being a small church is some sort of a falling short. That being a part of a small community of believers is somehow not the norm. 90% of people who go to church in the entire world attend a church of less than 100 people. Now let's flip those numbers around. That means 90% of all Christians who are participating in life-giving community, they attend a small church. And I think it's the way that God intended it. Consider Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, the New Living Translation uses the words God's family. It says we are all, as believers, we're part of God's family. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Consider Romans 12, verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It just drives home this idea that we're part of a family that's bigger than us. Amen? We're a part of something. We love to talk about the mission of the church, and we ought to be about the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to know God and make God known. The mission of the church is to share the hope and love of the gospel with a world that doesn't know it, right? We have entire generations that have never been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a second. That in three or four generations, we've gone from a place where most people went to church to a place where most people don't go to church, right? That's where we are today. We have a mission that is important, an urgent mission of which we need to make sure that we are participating. But I I want you to understand that there's more to going to church than just being missional. That when we go to church, we're a part of a family. Now, you know what you call your mom and dad's kids growing up that are also your mom and dad's kids, right? 
You call them brother and sister. You guys remember we go back a little bit. We used to call each other brother and sister in Christ, right? You guys know those, those phrases, those terms. We'd think about each other and we'd call each other brother and sister. And I remember being a young pastor and thinking how corny that was. But listen, I only thought it was corny because I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the implication then. It wasn't until I began to put together the biblical principles of what it means to be a part of the family of God. It wasn't until I understood the the power and the meaning behind those words, brother and sister, that I, I recognized how powerful those words are. That when we refer to one another as brother or as sister, that there's a powerful meaning intended behind that phrase. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when Paul is writing his letters and he's, you know, chastising the various churches in the New Testament, and he refers to them as his brothers or sisters, he's doing so understanding fully the impact because family is different than acquaintance. Amen. Family is different than all of that. There's something unique about it when we call one another brother and sisters. And to be clear, These verses are talking about all Christians, that we are all of us united in our faith to Christ. I I understand that context. I I get that it's not talking specifically about the small church context, but rather how all of us are united, that we are united as General Baptists to some Methodists, and we're united to some some Presbyterians, and we're united with some Pentecostals and all these other. We've got some different ideas and different ways of seeing things, but we're all united in this family of Christ. I, I get that. However, This plays out particularly well in the small church where we are all regularly involved in one another's life. I love the small church. You see, in a in a small church, there are things that happen that just don't happen anywhere else. For instance, in a small church, we celebrate and we grieve together just out of curiosity. If you've ever been a part of that here at MTZ, if you've ever had someone grieve with you or celebrate with you, would you just raise your hands? I want you to take a look around the room and see how many hands are up. I mean, that's one of the beauties of the small church. In a small church, we celebrate and we grieve together. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now I look around the room and, you know, I've, I've been to some of y'all's kids' birthday parties right? Going to one later today, in fact. I've been, we've been in weddings. Like, how many of us have attended the wedding of somebody else in this room? We've, we've been there when loved ones were baptized. We have celebrated anniversaries and retirement parties together. We have done some services where people renewed their vows, and we've all, we've been able to participate in that together. We've celebrated one another's birthdays and accomplishments. This morning, somebody in the congregation was sharing some good news with me just today about something that was going on in her life. In the small church, we're able to celebrate together. But it's not just the celebrating, is it? Sometimes it's the grieving that we do together, too. Sometimes it's in those toughest moments of our lives where we we gather together around one another and we put an arm on each other's shoulders and we don't understand the depth of the pain completely, but we get what it is to hurt And we comfort one another as we grieve and as we mourn. I know when my brother died three years ago, 
I sometimes wonder where I'd have been without my church family. I was beside myself. My only brother, my little brother, he was here. He was fine one day. A day and a half later, God had called him home, and it was tough. And my, my church family, they gathered together around me. They loved on me. Just yesterday, we had somebody in the church having a similar loss, grieving a loss of their own. And I was encouraged to see people from this church show up to that place and put their arms on them and love on them and pray for them. I mean, in the small church, we don't just celebrate. We also grieve together, don't we? We grieve losses of loved ones and losses of jobs and losses of opportunities. We're there. We, I was having a conversation with someone just this morning, and, they're, and they'd not been in a good place, and we were able to talk and, and compare notes and, and just sort of be there for one another as we shared a joint experience, something that both of us have, have experienced together. This is one of the beauties of the small church, but that's, that's not all. How many times have we prayed for one another as we went through a particular particularly difficult time. How many times has somebody called us up or we saw it come over on Facebook or we got a text message, hey, I'm going through something right now. Could you just stop what you're doing and say a prayer for me? How many times have we prayed for somebody in the hospital? How many times have we prayed for someone whose life is coming apart? This is the beauty of the small church. How many times do we not know what to do? just in a situation when we had no idea what the next step was. And we brought it up with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're able to get some direction and some wisdom and some advice along the way. How many hours after church have we hung out and just talked life, football, talked family, talked about how much we wanted to kill our kids? I mean, how many times have we encouraged one another in those times? So I've, I've oftentimes texted Lindsay just to make sure Joel was still alive. You know, like we've been through these sorts of things together. How many times have we encouraged and lifted up one another? How many hours after small groups have we hung out just to be in the presence of somebody else that we knew loved us and cared about us? We celebrate together. We grieve together. We do life together. Everything in between those moments, we in the small church, we have this this unique opportunity to do those things together. So we we got the wrong idea when it comes to this idea of the small church. Am I saying we should never grow? Of course I'm not saying that. I believe as we worship, as we give God the glory, as we tell people about Jesus, will our little church grow? Absolutely it will. But am I, am I saying that I think God wants our church to be a church of hundreds or thousands? That's not what I think God is calling us to be. I think God is calling us to be the best church we can be and the best Christians that we can be and part of it. We've got this idea that people somehow settle when it comes to the small church, but it isn't that people choose the small church in spite of the fact that it's small. People choose a small church because it is small in the first place. You know, some people are comfortable being just another name in the crowd, just another face in the crowd. But in the small church, there is no hiding in the crowd. There is no just fading into the background. In the small church, there's no place to hide because everybody knows your name. And that means you get to know others. It also means you get to be known. And there's something special about that, amen? Isn't there something special? You know what people want more than anything else? They want to feel seen. They want to know that somebody knows they're there. That somebody sees them not as a, 
a list of their mistakes and their regrets and not just for how they dressed or how their hair looks or whatever, but that somebody sees them for who they really are. And in a small church, it means you get to be known and you get to know. And there's something really special about that, especially in a day when we feel so disconnected. In a day where technology is replacing everyday interactions, when technology gives us this illusion because I've got 750 friends on Facebook, that must mean that people know I'm there. But we know intrinsically that it doesn't. We know that our social media following isn't a replacement for true flesh and blood relationships. I'm going to say this, even though we're streaming online right now, online church is not a replacement for in-person service. It just isn't. I mean, I'm not saying that because I have an agenda. My job as a pastor is to teach the scripture. My job as a pastor is to help people engage better in their relationship with Christ. My job as a pastor is to help others lead others to Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility as your pastor. And I can accomplish that online just as I can in person. This is me just giving you the truth as it is. There's something magical when we get together and we sing together and we all share a moment together. There's something powerful about that. There's something about feeling the Holy Spirit move in a room and move through everybody in the room at the same time. There's something powerful. There's something powerful about that. In a day when we feel so disconnected, sometimes church can be that thing that we need. It can be a a connection to life itself. It can be something that helps us to remember and realize that we're not alone. It can be something that helps us remember as we're trying to carry our faith through this life as best we can, that we aren't carrying this burden by ourselves, that other men and women in the church are struggling too, that other men and women in the church, they face persecution too, that I'm not alone in my pain and my grief and in my fury sometimes. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I love that verse. But I got to tell you, that verse isn't meant to be something that just kind of softball lobbed up to you for an easy shot. It's not a verse actually intended to make you feel better about things at all. Rather, it's a verse about how truth is always the loving thing. You see, the thing about real love is real love speaks hard truth sometimes. Somebody say amen. I mean, that's, that's real love. I, I got in an argument with somebody just a little while back. They weren't somebody here at the church. We were in an argument because I, I was having some tough conversations with some of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they couldn't understand why I would have people around me, people that I allowed to speak truth into me, that sometimes was hard truth. That sometimes was not that truth laced in honey. You have anybody ever have anybody talk to you with some words that were hard to hear? It can be tough sometimes, can't it? And look, sure, I could insulate myself. I could surround myself with people who just think the way that I do, and they're always nice, and they always say what I want to hear, even if it's not true. But that's not what I want around me, because you know what I want? I want to become a better man. I want to become a better follower of Christ. I want to be around people who will tell me how they think it is. Now, we may not agree on that sometimes. We've been there, some of us, haven't we? But I respect people like that. Real love speaks truth, but truth can be really painful to hear sometimes. Trust me, I know that as well as anyone. I was at a, I'm going to break a men's group rule today, but it's okay because it's all about me this time, right? 
We were in small group, and in my men's group, there's about four of us men. Uh, we'd be glad to add you to our numbers, fellas. Uh, if you ever need to, to vent about your wives or family, it's the perfect place. It really, it really is. Uh, but we were gathered together in a small group, and I forget what the topic was exactly, but it was, uh, it was about forgiveness. And they called me out, if you could believe that. There was this, there was this woman in my past. Uh, she's gone home to be with Jesus now, and I just had the hardest time getting along with this woman most of my life. And when there was a point, if I'm being honest with you, I was like, God, you got to take her home or away from here. I prayed that. I'm not proud of it, okay? But I, I prayed that one time, and God answered the prayer. So maybe it was biblical. I don't know. Um, but she went somewhere else for a while, and I, I was telling these guys about this story, and they, they called me out. They were like, well, Mike, don't you think maybe it's time to, to let that one go? You know my immediate reaction was? It was, God bless you guys for telling me the truth. That wasn't it, was it, Doug? Justin, you remember this conversation, don't you, right? The first reaction, probably if you could read my face, was, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Who do they think? I'm the one teaching on forgiveness. How are they going to tell me that I need to be a better forgiver? I'll, I'll show them, right? But do you know what? That was the truth in love is exactly what I needed to hear. And you know, sometimes that's how truth works. That's sometimes that's what real love does. It speaks truth. It speaks uncomfortable truth. It, it takes us to not where we want to go, but it takes us to where we need to go. You see, in a small church, we challenge one another to better follow Jesus. We challenge one another to better follow Jesus. Because in a family, people love you too much to watch you wreck your life. In a family, people love you too much then to not come up to you and say, I don't know if that was a wise move. I don't know if you should have posted that on Facebook, right? I don't, I don't know if you should be yelling those obscenities at people. You know, like in a small church, we love people too much. In a family, we love people too much not to share the truth with them. You see, the small church experience doesn't just come with people knowing your name. And this is the uncomfortable reality. And I'm just going to share with you that this is my opinion for a second. But I think that in part, this is the allure of the megachurch. Because in a small church, it doesn't just come with all of the niceties of being a part. But it also has some accountability built into it, doesn't it? Oh, it's tough to be held accountable. I hate being held accountable. I hate it, man. I, I hate for somebody to tell me that I, I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. For somebody to tell me that I, I probably shouldn't have talked like that. For somebody to tell me that, that I did something wrong. To have the audacity to tell a pastor that he needs to be a better forgiver. You know, like, I hate being held accountable, but I love people for doing it. Because what do I want to be? I want to be a better follower of Jesus. In the small church, there is accountability worked into it. You can't hide from people in the small church. You can't hide who you really are in the small church, not for long. In a small church, everybody knows everybody, and like it or not, at some point, we all end up in one another's business in the small church. It's just the nature of things. But I maintain that that's, that's a feature, not a bug. I maintain that that's the way it was in the days of Jesus, in the days to follow, in the young fledgling churches. They were gathering together. I'm sure they weren't just telling each other what they wanted to hear. How am I sure of that? Have you ever read the epistles Paul wrote to the churches? In Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've been going through, we went through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and you know now we're going through the book of Ephesians. And i got to tell you, Paul must have loved those people a lot because he called them out all the time constantly he called them out 
Where'd you get this idea, he'd said. How could you have this practice? How could you treat people this way? How could you, after all we've been together and all the gospel and the difference it's made in your life, how could you turn from it because some dude comes to you with some smooth words and changes all of it up? You see, in the small church, we're held accountable, and, and that sometimes looks like somebody getting all up in your business. And that sometimes looks like being really uncomfortable as somebody calls you out or doesn't even call you out. You know, we live in a day and age where if somebody disagrees with us, they don't have anything to do with us anymore. You know, I've had people, I've had people leave the church over one sermon they didn't agree with. And I don't know if you guys have been around. Those, those of you who are new, you're going to go to YouTube and look for all my controversial sermons probably next. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that sort of preacher, though, right? I'm not that sort of preacher. We don't get into politics here. We don't get into that stuff. We just talk about the gospel, the scripture, and how it applies to our lives. But I've had people get upset over one thing that I've said, one, one sentence or a couple of words. I mean, that's the kind of culture that we live in today, right? Where if somebody offends us, that's the worst thing that can happen is I'm offended. But I'm telling you, you need somebody to speak truth into your life. You need somebody to call you out when you're wrong. You need somebody to share their perspective with you, even if after the conversation you disagree with it, because none of us are perfect. We're all a work in progress. And nobody ever gets better in an easy way. We only approve when life gets a little uncomfortable. But you know what else can be uncomfortable? Following Jesus can be uncomfortable. If you're like right now, Mike, my, my following Jesus is pretty comfortable. I would challenge that maybe you're not doing it right. When following Jesus becomes easy and comfortable, there's really only two possibilities. One is we've just walked with Jesus so long that now it's second nature. That maybe applies to like three of us. The other option is it's easy because we're not doing it right. You know, following Jesus can be tough, but I don't think that anybody in the room would argue that following Jesus wasn't worthwhile. I don't think that anybody in the room would argue that following Jesus wasn't worth it being hard and tough sometimes. Likewise, sometimes life in the small church can get a little awkward. I get it. But I'm telling you, the benefits far outweigh any downsides to it. I mean, there are things that happen that we just take for granted today. You know what I think is cool? After church today, you could write without an appointment, without, a, without texting, without scheduling through some fancy software. You know, right after church today, you could walk up to any leader in our church and have a conversation. Any leader in our, in fact, I'll take it a step further. After service today, you look around and you're just like, that person looks interesting. You know, in a small church, you can go right up to that person and have a conversation and it's considered normal. It's just the way things are. But, like, that's not the way it is in other places and other ways of doing things. You want to have a conversation with me. Something's going on in your life. Something's going on in your heart, and you need to talk to the pastor. We just have a conversation, you and I. Or we set up something if we're too busy right now. Or we text one another. Or you can have my cell phone number and give me a call directly. You don't got, I don't have an assistant. I don't have anybody that manages all of that. Now, I've got two ladies that nag me, but not about that, right? That's, I got, I got, they nag me about other work stuff. But they don't, they, don't, they don't handle my calls or my messages, really. And April's not, I'm not talking about April. April doesn't nag me. I'm looking at you, Amanda and Jen. Um, 
But you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. In a small church, you have direct access to leaders. You know something else you can do in a small church that you can't do in the big church? You can have opportunities to voice your thoughts, and it actually matters. You know, when we have a business meeting or a town hall meeting, you know who can show up? Anybody. And you can share what you think. You can share your thoughts. It's not a guarantee you get what you want, all right? Don't misunderstand me. But you can come, and what you think, you can come and share it, or you can get clarification on something that's, that's going on. You can ask questions of anybody you have questions of. In fact, I can't tell you how many times in a small church somebody's come up and they were like, I'm going through something. And God put somebody else's name or face in my head. And I was like, you know what, I've not been through that. But I know somebody who has, let me hook you together. It happened just a few, a couple months ago. There was somebody going through something. They had a question, and I, I had no idea the answer to their question. But I knew that Debbie had just gone through that. And I was like, you know what, I don't know anything about that, but I know somebody who does. Let me connect you guys after church. They had a conversation. Debbie was able to put this woman's heart at ease a little bit in just a few seconds. It's a couple-minute conversation. In the small church, this is what I love. You know, you don't have to be an expert to get involved. You know what my credentials are for preaching? Just a big mouth. No degrees. No special training, right? I just, I got a big mouth, a passion for Jesus. And I, I mean, and the people that serve on our worship team, I mean, I know that the three ladies that she sing for us, they, they sound professional, but none of them have ever, you know, this is just, they sing at church. God's given them a gift and they've used it. How many times has somebody gotten involved in a small church without having any expertise because they felt like God called them to do it? And we say, all right, let's give it a whirl. Let's try it. Let's try it out. But best of all, Being a part of a family means being a part of a group of people who love you no matter what. When I say no matter what, I mean no matter what. I mean, regardless of the circumstances, how messed up your life is right now, what you're going through, uh, you know, what you posted to Twitter, regardless of all of that, being a part of a family means being a part of a group of people who love you no matter what. A group of people who will be there for you when you need them the most. That's what it means to be a part of a small church. It means having people that love you. Brothers and sisters from another mother, if you will, who will come along and help out any way they can, using everything they can. We have we've helped people in so many different ways over the years that I've been a part. I sure I'm only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Being a part of a, a church family means that we get to do this thing called life together. I want to share one of my all-time favorite passages with you, then we're going to close. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, I want you to pay real close attention. If you've begun to think about lunch, I know we should have had snack time with the time change. We didn't. But I just want you to really pay attention to these verses, even if you haven't heard anything else that I've said. It says, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another As I have loved you, that you also love one another. I love verse 35. Circle this, maybe. Underline it in your scriptures. Commit it to memory. It says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Jesus knew everything. Jesus knew it all. He knew the past, the present, the future. He knew this whole gospel thing that we talk about. And here's what's interesting to me. He didn't say, this is how people will know. They'll know me by how great your sermons are. It's not what he says. Jesus was the greatest communicator of all time. He was completely qualified to say that, but he didn't. He could have said, 
By this, people will know me. By this, everybody will know that you belong to me. If you have the biggest, nicest, freshest building on the block. He didn't say that. He didn't say, by this, everybody will know that you're my disciples. If you have a really strong social media presence. Or if your YouTube videos and your Facebook live streams are professionally cut. It's not what he said. He could have said anything that he wanted there. He could have inserted any idea that he wanted there. But the one that Jesus thought the most important to share, he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He challenged us. He challenged us to be living proof of what it means to follow Jesus by how we choose to love one another. How we choose to love one another. Each of us. I look around this room. There are a lot of different sorts of people here today. Been through a whole lot of different sorts of things. Different experiences, different histories, different backgrounds came from different families. By this, all will know that you are my disciples in the way that you love one another. Makes sense. Because that's what family does, right? That's what family does. My promise is not that we'll never get on each other's nerves. My promise isn't that we'll never fight or argue. My promise isn't that things won't ever get heated or that we'll always agree on everything. My promise is that being a part of a family means even when those things happen, we still have one another. No matter what. Because we're family. We're brothers. And we're sisters. We serve the same God with the same mission. We follow the same rules. We're family. Would you stand this morning as we pray together? Maybe this morning you um, you feel all alone. Maybe this morning you don't have some family that you can fall back on. Maybe they live a long ways away. Maybe some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. You're feeling lonely today. Or maybe today you're just somebody who didn't realize, maybe you didn't realize that you've got this big thing called the church and that it's not just about coming together and singing karaoke and listening to, to a, a big bald guy talk for 30 minutes. Maybe you didn't realize that it was more about the community and the power of the gospel in our lives. Or maybe this morning, like me, you found yourself at points in time being embarrassed by the fact that you belong to a small church. Look, it's okay if you felt that way. I've been there too, but I'm telling you, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's the way that God intends because after about 150 people, it's really hard to do life together. I mean, you can only know so many people and remember so many faces. If that's you this morning, as we bow our heads and go to Jesus in prayer, would you just come forward and kneel at an altar? You won't be alone. Somebody will meet you up there. Somebody will be there to pray with you if you're going through something right now, if you've got a concern in your life. I was going to ask, you know, that, that maybe Doug and Billy could be on standby to come up here and pray with some people as things happen. Would you just come this morning? There's something going on in your life or there's something you need help with or you're feeling hopeless or you're feeling alone as we pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful this morning that you've chosen us to be part of the family. That Jesus, we're not alone in this big, crazy world where everything can be crazy sometimes. In this world that we don't understand and can't get our heads around, sometimes we can feel so lonely. I was talking with somebody dear to me this morning. We were talking about sometimes life can be like we're in this 
deep, dark hole, and we can see the light, but we can't figure out how to get there. Jesus, I'm grateful this morning to be part of a family and to know that we're not alone. Jesus, I'm grateful this morning for a place to belong, for a place of where I can gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and we may see things differently, but I'm grateful that we're in this together. I'm grateful that MTZ is a place where I can belong even before I believe. I'm grateful for people and those people you put in our lives to love us along our journey. Whatever that may be look like, whatever we're struggling with, the beauty of the small church is that we never have to go it alone. And for anybody this morning that doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray they might, they might say a prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I mess up. I know that I've made mistakes. But Jesus, I know that your death, burial, and resurrection took care of that. I know that if I believe you died in my place and rose for me, the Bible says I'm a Christian. I invite you to come into my life and dwell there forever and ever. I repent of my sins, Jesus, and I turn to you. I pray that you would remind us, Jesus, this morning, that those of us that do, that it's an amazing privilege to be able to follow you, that it's an amazing privilege that you have saved us out of our depravity, that you have saved us out of our sin. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to turn our burdens over to you. God, they get too heavy. They're too heavy. We can't carry the weight of the world on our shoulders forever. It's too heavy. Help us, Jesus, to turn it over to you. I pray that you would forgive us, Jesus, for our sins and the times that we've messed up. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray, Jesus, that you would instill within us a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel and sharing the fact that you died and rose again with our family and our friends and our co-workers, inviting people to come with us to church, sharing our story of what you have done in our lives. Lord, at the end of the day, I don't know that these words this morning that have been offered from this stage have been particularly eloquent, but I pray they've been full of truth. I pray that they've been encouraging and challenging so that our lives can look more like you intend. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.